0: Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you wanna know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson.
1: Luke the fifth chapter that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning and so I want to invite your attention there as we continue our series of lessons looking chronologically at the life of Jesus Christ the most influential life that's ever walked the face of the earth. Now, I think many of you know this, many of you may not, but my wife loves flowers. Now, while she appreciates getting flowers that can be put in a vase, what she would much rather have are flowers that she can plant around her yard. You see, planting flowers and all kinds of stuff is a passion of hers. Every day, uh, she's out there taking care of her yard, taking care of her flowers, picking out weeds, doing all of those. Even in the snowstorm we had a couple weeks ago, she's reading books for planting, preparing Uh, when are we supposed to plant this when are we supposed to plant that I mean she loves it and I'll tell you one of the worst days in the Smith household was when that little groundhog came out and saw his shadow Six more weeks. Oh, it was, it was bad in the Smith house that day. And I, and I say all of that because I think most of us know that plants follow a natural growth process, right? In fact, the Bible talks a lot about the natural growth process that plants go through. The scripture says a seed, unless it dies and germinates, can actually be snatched away by the birds of the air and never reproduce. But... Once that seed falls to the ground, dies, and germinates, then it can establish roots, it can grow, it can bear fruit, 30, 60, even 100-fold, the Scripture says. You see, Jesus understood that just as plants follow a natural and an organic process of development, so too do we as human disciples. And Jesus did not take any shortcuts with his disciple-making process. Instead, he." Intentionally developed his guys naturally. And he calls us, I believe, to follow his pattern of disciple-making. In fact, one of the reasons we're walking through chronologically the life of Christ is not just to gain knowledge about what he did, when, where, and why. It's to see this pattern that develops in disciple-making that Jesus used with his followers and then his followers used with their followers so that we can do what Jesus did. We're examining that pattern as part of this series of lessons on the life of Christ. You see, the genius of Jesus is that he recognized that people are in different stages in their spiritual journey of faith. And what Jesus does is he starts where people are and then he invites them to move to a deeper level of growth and maturity. He starts with seekers and then he moves them to be believers in time. He challenges those believers to become workers in the harvest field and finally fully trained reproducing disciple makers. That's Jesus' plan and purpose for walking the earth. Not just to redeem the world from sin. He does that, yes. But he also has a very clear disciple-making plan uh, uh, that he works to perfection as well. So let's look at Luke chapter 5. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we march through this text together. Luke chapter 5 verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had got out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon says in verse 5: Master, we toiled all night and took nothing but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it he fell down at Jesus' knees saying depart from me Lord for I am a sinful man. And followed him. Let's make a few points before we dive into the heart of the lesson that we see here in Luke chapter 5. Here's the first thing I think is very important for us to grasp. When things don't make sense, when things with God don't make sense, I think the lesson we learned from, from Peter this morning is we need to obey anyway. There are going to be things in your life on a regular basis that don't make sense that God is going to ask you to do. What are you going to do when that happens? It's going to stand against the grain of culture. It's going to stand against the grain of or or the flow where everybody else is going. Are you going to have the courage to do what Peter did and follow him, obey him anyway? When things don't make sense with God, obey anyway. This is a carpenter telling a fisherman how to do his job. (laughs) <laughs> Peter's a professional. He's done this his whole life. He lives on this, on this water. But he chooses to obey Jesus anyway. He responds to the leading of Jesus Christ. And because he does, he experiences a miracle of God's provision. Remember, this is not the first time that Jesus has been with Peter right? They've been uh, coming and seeing for the last 18 months, and so Peter knows who this is who's asking him to let down his nets for a catch. He knows what's going on. Think about this as well. He's about to call him to follow after him for at least another two years. How's Peter going to be able to pay for that with this miraculous catch of fish? You see, When God gives a vision, he's also going to provide. I think that's a very important lesson for us to learn. When God gives us vision, he's going to provide. And he does that right here with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Here's the second lesson. This is huge. This is so important for us as a church to grasp as well as us individually to grasp. Here it is. Number two, Jesus is searching for the humble, not the perfect. I think sometimes we buy the same lie that Peter bought. You see, Peter, in the middle of this miracle, asked Jesus to get away from him. Have you ever, has anybody but me thought that's kind of (laughs) odd? I would want Jesus to come near. Peter says, get away. So, So what's going on here? Peter has bought a lie that many of us has bought, and Jesus has to correct him. You see, Peter thought that God would have nothing to do with everyday sinners like Peter or you or me. Peter believed that God is only going to work with and only going to use the pious and the righteous, those that have it all together, those that look right, think right, think right and vote right. Uh, Peter thought that's the only people that God uses, and Jesus has to correct him. You see, what, what's going on here is that Peter doesn't realize that it is admitting one's inability. It is admitting our sin. That's the only prerequisite for following Jesus, And that's the only prerequisite for service to the king of the universe. Because it's only when we recognize our need, when we recognize our sinfulness, that we will begin to depend on God. And this confession of Peter as a sinful man is actually the only resume that Jesus needs before he invites him to come and be a part of what he's doing. Jesus says to him, don't fear. I have work for you to do. And I want you to hear me say loud and clear, I don't care your background. I don't care what sin you've committed in your life. I don't care how you've messed up. Jesus is inviting you, if you will humble yourself, to join him on his journey, to join you in the work, to be about his business just like him. Just like him. You see, it's one thing to be a sinner and deny it. It's another thing altogether to know who you are before God and to humbly bow before him. Jesus is searching for the humble, not the perfect. Number three, the third lesson I think we get from this section of scripture is that God calls us or the call of God is for every one of us to be fishers of men and women Jesus does two things here in this section. He calls Peter to enter into this process of gathering people and rescuing them from the danger of a fallen world. Peter, from this point on, is going to catch men and he's going to attempt to bring them to life. Boats and nets will no longer be his tools. Instead, the very word of God himself will be his tools. And Peter's sin, listen, Peter's sin doesn't make him unworthy. Peter's sin actually makes him available and ready to serve. It makes him ready to serve because he knows what he's been saved from. Here's the second thing that's going on here. Not only does he ask Peter to join him in this process, Jesus is a transforming Savior. This is the last time that Peter, James, and John will spend their time only as fishermen. Oh, they're going to come back and fish again. They're going to do that throughout the process. But Jesus has transformed them. This is the last time they will be only fishermen. Now they're going to be disciple-making fishermen. Jesus is going to transform them. He changes us if we allow Him. He changes us not just from lost to found, but He changes us from, from darkness to light. He changes us uh, from, 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 He changes our priorities in every possible way if we'll allow Him. And Peter, in this text, think about what Peter does. Peter, in this text, number one, casts his nets. He bows before Jesus. And number three, he leaves everything and follows him. This is a great picture of what conversion looks like simply Peter obeys Jesus. Jesus says, let down your nets, even though it makes no sense. And Peter says, okay, I'm going to obey. So he obeys Jesus. And then he confesses his sinfulness. And then he forsakes everything. He leaves everything behind and follows him. What a great picture of conversion. And I want you to get this. Jesus does not need people who are going to try and direct his steps for him. Jesus is looking for people who will serve him. Is that you? Is that you? Are you still trying to get Jesus to do everything you want? All right, by now you're probably wondering what these four chairs on this stage with me are all about. I think these four chairs, we're going to use them today to represent four challenges that Jesus makes And those four challenges are represented again by these four chairs. Now over the course of this series of lessons, we have been spending all of our time in chair number one. And I'll illustrate that here in just a second. And this is an illustration we're going to return to often over the next uh, several months. And so you may see these chairs up here. In fact, we may just leave them up here, maybe in the back or something. Uh, But but, uh, you're not going to be able to see this in the corners. And so I have put everything that's on this on the screen. And so here's chair number one. Uh, Remember that the first section of Jesus' life has been represented by what we have been saying uh, is this thing called come and see, right? If you remember, Andrew and John were spiritual seekers who were engaged in the ministry of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist preached that Messiah was coming after him, and when John identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, those two men left John and started following Jesus. And as they're following after him, Jesus turns around and says, hey, what are you guys up to? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? You remember what Jesus says in John 1.39? Come and see. Here's the first challenge. This is how Jesus begins his disciple-making strategy. He says, just come and check this out. Come and see who I am. Come and see what I'm all about. Come and see what this is. Examine the evidence. Investigate. This is chair one. The Greek word come literally means just show up. And so if we're going to do what Jesus did, we're going to need to engage people and invite them simply to come and see. Come examine the evidence of Jesus. Come hang out with you. Come let you start to point them toward the Christ. People, though, have to be willing just to show up in order to learn more from Jesus Spending time with seekers and inviting them to come and see. That's the first step in disciple making. And again, it's represented by this first chair. I want you to think about this too. Remember Philip uh, back in John 1, he spends time with Jesus. And then Philip goes and he inv- invites Nathanael to what? Come and see Jesus. Just two weeks ago, we talked about the Samaritan woman at the well. And there she was at the well. She's been rejected by her city. She wants uh, the, the city wants nothing to do with her and she wants nothing to do with them. But after spending some time with Jesus, she runs back to the very ones who rejected her. And do you remember what she said to them? Come and see that first chair. This is how it works. This is what disciple making is supposed to look like. And this is not a difficult step. It just requires us to be willing to be used by God. To give the gift of time and show the love of Christ to those who are seeking God. Who have you invited lately to come and see? You say, well we're in the middle of a pandemic. I can't. It's not about just inviting people to church. It's about inviting people into your life. Who have you invited recently to come and see? That's chair number one. Chair number two, and you may notice there's a bigger gap between chair one and two than these others. There's a reason for that. Chair number two... Uh, Jesus gives in a variety of ways, but the second challenge moves and by the way, this is a seeker in chair one. So chair one is a seeker. Chair two, though, chair two becomes a believer. Alright, so there's a, there's a gap there for a purpose. The second challenge moves the seeker in chair one to the status of a believer in chair two. Now, this implies something. It implies that someone has made a decision about Jesus Christ. An inner transformation has taken place. And so, the second challenge is that. Follow me. So, this was come and see. Now, we have follow me. This is simple. But I have to say this because I, I, just, I don't want us to miss, miss this. When we think about disciples and we think about following Jesus, a disciple is someone who actually follows Jesus. They don't follow what they want with a lot of little God talk thrown in. Uh, this is people who actually make the decision, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to obey Jesus. And so they've gone from seeker now to believer. John chapter 10 verse 27 is our verse. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. (laughs) They follow me. It's amazing though in the world we live in, how many people claim to be followers of Jesus but actually don't really follow what he says. So I have to say this here. The word follow, it means to come behind, to follow in his steps, to learn of him, to join him on this journey. And so come and see assumes curiosity. Follow me assumes commitment. Curiosity, commitment, seeker, believer, represented by these first two chairs. This challenge in chair two is a call to a deeper level of the discipling journey than just come and see. It assumes that the person who's moving to chair two has a desire to spend time with Jesus. They have a a desire to learn from the rabbi. It, It demands a learning process of walking in the steps of the master. It paints a picture of becoming like the one we are following it's allowing him to lead us, and it demands listen to what it demands. It demands that we walk as he walked, we love as he loves, and we do what he did, and we serve as he serves. We serve as he serves. Again, I don't want to downplay the importance of church, but it's not just about coming to church. We do what he did, we love as he loved, we serve as he served. We serve as he served. That's the challenge of Chair 2. We talked a few weeks ago about John chapter 3 and verse 22 where Jesus was literally just spending time with his disciples because Jesus understood something that we need to understand if we're going to become disciple makers the way God would have us be. If we're going to fish for men and women, we got to imitate Jesus, right? And Jesus knew that if the disciples were going to imitate him, then he had to take some time to get to know him. Jesus knew that life change comes through relationships, Relationships and relationships just can't be rushed. And so, think back to to what we've looked at so far. While his guys were in chair one, this come and see, come and investigate, come and examine uh, what this is all about. Do you remember what Jesus did? Do you think about the places that Jesus took him? He took his guys to a wedding, right? Just hanging out with them. And then he does that amazing miracle of changing the water to wine. Then he takes them to Jerusalem to the Passover where he cleanses the temple. Right? I mean, that must have been a very intimidating act. But yet, there they are, coming and checking out. You see, Jesus wants them to know what they're getting into before he calls them to follow him. Not, after, not only that, he takes them out to the countryside into some potential relational conflicts. And he even takes them on a short-term mission trip to Samaria, of all places. You see, the follow me step is a practical and simple step that any of us can take as we try to make disciples. It requires us To invite people into our lives and spend time with them. Allowing them a chance to get to know us and for us to get to know them. It it simply requires that we love people as we love God. Chair number one, seeker. Chair number two, believer. Come and see. Now he's calling them into a deeper level of commitment. Follow me. How about chair number three? This is where it starts to get fun. Chair number three. He says, I will make you into something. I will make you fishers of men. We read that in Matthew chapter 4. And so the third challenge is a summons to leave the comforts of chair 1 and 2 and move into chair 3. And what we read here in Luke 5 and what we read in Matthew chapter 4 verse 19 is that very phrase. Follow me and I will make you into something. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And what we know again in the course of this series on the life of Christ is that this is not the first time Jesus has been with these guys. He's been with them in some capacity in chair one for over 18 months. And now he's calling them deeper. Right? He's calling them into a real relationship. He is challenging them to go deeper. Let me put it this way. He's asking them to move from simply following him to becoming part of his ministry team. And do you understand that that's the same call on every one of our lives? Jesus doesn't want us to just examine all the time. He doesn't want us just to believe. He wants us to join him in his mission. This is the call of Christ on your life. You say, well, I'm not, ai don't talk for, neither did Moses. And look what he did with him. Right? This is the call of God on your life. To move into part of his ministry team. This is the challenge. This is how. And we're going to look at these two chairs. Throughout the rest of this series of lessons. That we're dealing with. But this is the call of Christ on your life. And this challenge. It's loaded with meeting. Jesus is so strategic in what he does. It's so strategic. It's strategic in three ways. First. It's for, and first and foremost Relational. As in the last chair, Jesus invites you to come and follow him. But from this point forward, Jesus is going to make an even greater investment of his time in these men who will later become his 12 apostles. They're not yet the 12 apostles. They're simply a part of Jesus' ministry team. A team of faithful followers that Jesus is taking deeper. And that's what he wants to do with you. This challenge not only is relational, this challenge is also intentional. Did you catch what Jesus says? I will make you. Jesus is going to make him them into something. He has a clear goal, a clear plan for developing his disciples as reproducing disciple makers. And so what happens next, as we're going to look at over the next several weeks, is that Jesus is going to take these guys on several fishing trips. <laughs> And these fishing trips are going to be amazing. They're, they're going to give them confidence in who he is. They're going to give him confidence in sharing their faith. He is teaching them how to reproduce their lives that he has put into them in other people. These trips are evangelistic. They're going to watch Jesus as he takes them into a synagogue and, and casts out a demon in the middle of a religious yet unsaved crowd. He, they're, going to, they're going to follow him to Peter's house where, where he heals his mother-in-law. Jesus is going to preach in Capernaum and his guys are going to be right there with him. Each step of the way, the disciples are learning new principles for sharing their faith as they watch what Jesus did. At one point, Jesus is actually going to walk away from all of the crowds. And in our way of thinking, we think, why would anybody walk away from the crowds? Don't you want the crowds? But Jesus is trying to help them understand something. He's trying to help them understand what it means to be a fisher of men rather than a pleaser of the crowd. Everything Jesus does is intentional. Everything he does has a purpose and a meaning. After these initial fishing trips, Jesus is going to take them with him on his second mission trip throughout all the villages of Galilee. been told there was up to 204 villages in that area and Jesus is going to walk with his guys through almost all of them and as we'll see jesus is trying to help them see something that we have to see as well as jesus walks through these villages in galilee he wants to help them see the unlovely of the community he is trying to shape their values he's teaching them that it's not always about the people who look just right or who look like us or about uh, 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 or vote like us or whatever he wants us to be concerned about everyone And they were beginning to observe that there were many, many seekers among the unlovely that simply needed the touch of Jesus. And so he takes them on this journey. Jesus was strategic. Challenge is first relational, it's intentional, but ultimately it's missional. Jesus clearly knew that his mission was to leave behind a movement of disciples capable of reproducing disciples in themselves. Did you hear what I said to you? Because this is really profound. I've said this from this pulpit before, but let me say it again. Jesus' mission, listen to me now. Jesus' mission was to leave behind a movement of disciples capable of reproducing disciples themselves. Here's what that means. Jesus' mission was not to reach the world himself. Jesus' mission was to make disciples who were capable of reaching the world. And this is why, at the end of the book of John, he's going to say, God, I've done everything that you've called me to do. Wait a minute, he hasn't gone and died for the sins of the world yet. How can he say that? Because his mission was to make people who could reproduce believers in other people. And that's the same job he gives us. Not just to come and sit in a church building. Not just, and again, I don't want you to think I'm a church hater. Because I'm not. I love the church. There's a purpose and a reason for it. To encourage and to build up. But that is not the end of your walk with Christ. You're to become a disciple maker who can make disciples. You're to follow the same process that his disciples went through. This is what it's all about. This is the heart of the mission of God. I'm not mad. I don't want you to think I'm mad. I'm just so... You want to see those... You remember the statistics Trey shared yesterday, last week? How hurtful are those statistics? We know that if something doesn't change, the church is gone in a hundred years, at most. But if we take on the model of Jesus Christ, if we do what he did... And call others to do what he did. We can change those statistics. And why shouldn't it begin right here with us? Why not us? Let me say it this way. If not us, who? Who, if not us? Chair four. This is the go and bear fruit chair. In John chapter 15... In verse 16, let's flip over there. I want you to put your eyes on this verse. Jesus says, you did not choose me. He's talking to his guys. He's about to go and die for the sins of the world. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Did you catch it? You didn't choose me. I chose you. Why did you choose him? So that you would go and bear fruit. So we have a seeker we have a believer, we have a worker, and we have a disciple maker. Someone who is going and bearing fruit. Right at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus eats the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. And we have this amazing uh, discourse here in chapter 15, verses 1 through 11 where Jesus makes some amazingly profound statements about the vine and the branches and and how we can't bear fruit apart from him. Uh, We've got to stay connected to the vine. And then down in verse 15, he says what I think may be the most profound thing in Scripture. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you. Did you catch it? I've called you friends. Up to this point, they've been called seekers, disciples, servants, co-workers. Now Jesus calls them friends. Jesus moves his disciples to a whole new level of relationship with him from chair three to chair four. And the reason is so clear. He knows he's about to go away. He knows he's about to die. And they're going to need to be the ones who go and bear fruit. They are being called to do what he did. They are being called to repeat the process that he used with them and other people. Now, this challenge is not easy, but it really is simple. Fruit bearing requires that we abide in the vine and that we allow the vine to produce fruit through us. Our task is abiding. His task is bearing fruit, right? Paul says, I planted a Paulist water, but it's God who gives the increase. Our job is to abide. And as we abide, man, that's what's going to happen. Fruit is going to be born. So as we think about Jesus' call to these guys to follow him and allow him to make them into disciple makers, I want to ask you a question. What chair are you in today? Where are you sitting What chair are you in? You still in chair one? Nothing wrong with chair one. You still here examining the evidence, checking this all out? Asking questions about Jesus? I want to encourage you this morning, take the next step. Take the next step. Choose today to follow Jesus, to get baptized for the remission of your sins. Commit yourself to King Jesus Christ. You know, sadly, the most people that we have in the church spend all their time in these two chairs. Most people spend all their time right here. And they miss out on the greatest adventure in their life. You miss out on all that God has for you as you mature in your faith and take the next step. So are you in chair two today? Have you become a follower of Jesus and you've been doing this church thing? I want to encourage you to take the next step. Maybe it's time for you to become a worker in the kingdom of God. And again, I don't just mean serving at church. As important as that is, we've got to have people serving in this place. But I'm talking about serving beyond the church. I mean everywhere you go, in the name of the Lord Jesus and for the cause of Christ, you do what you do. Are you in chair three? Is it time to move to chair three? And if you're in chair three, I'm gonna or two, I'm gonna encourage you, take the next step. Become a worker in his vineyard, become a, a worker in the harvest fields that are ripe for harvest. And if you're in chair three, I want to encourage you, take the next step and begin to invest in someone else. Become a disciple maker, become a spiritual parent, a spiritual grandparent. Listen, these guys. That we read about in Luke chapter 5. They all took the next step with Jesus. And he literally turned the world upside down through them. And I believe he can. I believe he does. And I believe he will change it again through us. If we have the courage to simply take the next step. Where are you sitting? Where are you going to be sitting a year from now? Six months from now. Where are you going to be? The Beltline Church of Christ is about to launch a new ministry that we're calling Next Steps. Imagine that. See, there's a method to all this craziness that goes on up here. We're in the uh, the final stages of kind of putting the final touches on it. But we are convinced, we believe that this new ministry that we're calling Next Steps, it could completely transform not only this church but our community and beyond. But it's going to take us being willing to move from the chairs that we're in to whatever comes next. It's going to be up to us to be willing to start to see like Jesus, to have eyes like Jesus, to have ears like Jesus. And instead of just saying, hey, come to church with me, what we're going to need to start doing is looking out among us where we work, where we go to school, where we play uh, all of that and say alright who is it that I can serve who is it that's struggling uh, among us that I can I, I can point them to something more to something greater I, I can tell them hey here at Beltline we want you to take the next step in your journey of faith and instead of just handing them off you're going to walk with them because if it's going to have any reason or any chance of success at all you're going to have to walk with them this is not something we hand over to a ministry team this is not something we hand over to the elders and deacons it's you It's you as the people of God acting like the people of God and saying let me help you take the next step with Jesus. Whatever that step is maybe it's helping someone just come and see. Maybe it's helping someone get over that hump and giving their life to Christ. Maybe it's helping someone become a worker in the kingdom of God or maybe it's just mentoring someone to become a disciple maker. I don't know what that step is but if this is going to work it's going to take all of us. I'm so excited about it I can't wait to tell you more. And more is coming. Again, we're putting the final touches on it. It's going to transform us. I really believe that. It could. It could transform us. I hope that it will. I'm tired. <sighs> Take the next step with Jesus. Take the next step with Jesus. I, I think we've, we, we've done this. Again, this sounds terrible, and I don't want you to hear me wrong, but I think we've done the church thing long enough. And I'm I'm not saying stop doing church. But I'm saying let's be the church. Let's not just go to church. Let's be the church in every way, shape, form, and fashion that we can. Take the next step. And if we can help you in that, if we can pray for you, we invite you to come right now while we stand and sing this song for your encouragement.
0: Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, Don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.